0: VCY America presents Crosstalk, a nationwide call-in program discussing issues that have an effect on our families, our communities, our churches, our nation, and our world. Crosstalk, an opportunity for you to voice your concerns for biblical principles. And now live by satellite and around the world on the internet at vcyamerica.org. Here is today's Crosstalk.
1: And thank you for joining us on Crosstalk here on VCY America as we Consider a number of issues here on this program, oftentimes dealing with uh, matters that are going on on a political realm or things that are happening on a global realm. We've seen the Great Reset and its push for that taking place. Uh, but we also have talked about education. We talk about issues that are uh, going on within the realm of media today. But friends, we're going to be dealing with more of a spiritual issue today because there are a number of people who struggle to read the Bible. Some will open a page, start reading, but have no idea about what they're reading and how does this fit together with the Bible as a whole. Uh, Others may wonder, what's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? Uh, What about all those different offerings in Leviticus? Or the different kings in the southern kingdom of Judah versus the northern kingdom in Israel? And all of these prophets in the Old Testament... It's rather confusing as to who is doing what and what their message is. Have you ever felt that way? Well, whether you're a seasoned reader of the Scriptures or just an occasional reader, there are some likely questions that have popped into your mind, or perhaps you've been approached by others with questions like, how can I be confident that the Bible is reliable? Who decided which books made the final cut? How did we ever get our Bible anyways? And wasn't the Bible just written by a bunch of infallible people? How does this all fit together? Well, friends, I'm here to say today there's a wonderful resource that's just become available, giving a bird's-eye view of the whole of Scriptures called the Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible. Using what is called infographics, it's a book that highlights the key events, themes, and applications found in every book of the Bible. Its author is with us today, Dr. Joseph Holden, the president of Veritas International University in Southern California. He is general editor of the Harvest Handbook of Apologetics, co-editor of the Harvest Handbook on Bible Lands, co-editor of the Harvest Handbook of Science and Faith, associate editor of the Apologetics Study Bible for Students, and has involvement with several other books as well, He's also producer of the documentary Archaeology in the Bible, The Ten Amazing Discoveries. And, Joe, welcome here to Crosstalk. Jim, thanks for having me on. Good to be with you and your listeners today. You know, I must say, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, share with us, what was the impetus to put a book like this together?
2: Well, that's a great question, because what we're seeing today across the board, around the world, actually in our nation, the United States, is we're having more and more resources come on the market but our literacy is going down it seems like people need to understand what they're reading get the material into their hand and then understand it so our impetus was to make complicated things a bit more simpler for the bible reader and that's why we produced the ultimate infographic book to the bible it has everything from the story behind the bible how we got our bible all the books of the bible have been Treated in this book, and it also deals with the Messiah, the future, eschatology, Bible history, and it presents it in short sound bites with attractive graphics that will help make sense and bring illumination and clarity to the scriptures when you read it. So it's a servant of the scriptures. It's not there to replace
1: Right, right. And, and, and as it's, it's very much a companion. So as one reads the scriptures, this by its side to help uh, give information there. Uh, for some, this word infographic may be a term they're not familiar with. So well, what exactly is an infographic?
2: Well, infographic is when you use graphics such as icons and images and graphic arts to communicate the information of Scripture. So um, when you present, let's say, the book of Genesis, you uh, might use all kinds of illustrations and a lot of color art and with, along with the information that goes with that art. So you not only get the Um, logical presentation or the sentence or the proposition that goes with it, you also get the graphic that illustrates it. And I think if you're like me, Jim, you always can learn from illustrations when either the minister or you're reading something that gives you a good, clear, uh, illustration of what you're reading.
1: It really does. And so what you're doing through your illustrations are giving us this visual survey, really, of every book of the Bible. And and seeing in this form, listeners, really helps the reader to understand. Uh, the, the book here is broken down into three parts, uh, the first being the story behind the Bible. And this really gets down to helping the reader understand the source of the writings we know as the Holy Bible. If you would comment on this section, if you would oh, sure, we just
2: wanted to make sure that our readers were understanding where the Bible came from. And each chart in this section uh... there's under ten charts in here and it tells you all the way from the beginning the general facts about the bible like how many books are in the bible sixty six books the oldest book written most likely it was job and how many different continents was it written on and and so forth so it gives you all the fast facts and then it tells you that the bible came from god it was god breathed it was inspired by god And when we read the scriptures, it is the very words of God. We're reflecting on the mind of God about these different topics that we're reading about. And then it was canonized. That simply means we recognize what books were breathed out by God or inspired by God. We collect them, and we put them into a canon of 66 books. And it goes through the process that went through Mm -hmm. to get to that point. Transmission, it tells you about how we copied the manuscripts over the years and over the centuries to make sure we had the original um, revelation from God to its writer because the originals are lost to us. They're gone. So we have to rely on the copies. And then we talk about translation how do we get the scriptures from one language into another, and we look at the manuscripts that support those translations. Those are handwritten copies that we rely on to reconstruct our modern Bibles today. And finally, how we can know we can trust the scriptures. Is it historically reliable? All these things form part one, and it even gives you a little bonus chart there that talks about how we got our English Bible. And many read the Bible in English today, and oftentimes we don't know the process it went through to come into our lap when we read it on Sunday mornings in church. So it's a very helpful section, Jim.
1: Indeed it is. And how we got our English Bible, friends, you'll see a historic timeline of the translations as part of this. But just backtracking a bit, do you believe that that we can be confident that what we read in the Bible today is exactly what God intended for us?
2: Absolutely, without question. We have so many manuscripts today by which to reconstruct what the original document said. We have the most manuscripts of any book in the ancient world. And when I say ancient world, I'm talking 350 A.D. and earlier. There is not one other book from that early time period that can trump the manuscripts that we have to reconstruct the biblical New Testament. Matter of fact, you've got... amazing.
1: It is amazing. You've got a very interesting chart on page 16 called The, the Tale of the Tape, and a comparison of the New Testament versus uh, ancient literature, for instance, like the, the, the Iliad by Homer or various works by Sophocles. Many people do not doubt the writings of these men, but yet question the writings of the New Testament. Uh, tell us about the significance of that chart.
2: Well, the chart on page 16 is amazing because I take all the uh, ancient works and I compare them to the New Testament and the support that the New Testament has versus the support that these secular ancient works have. And when you see how many copies that the New Testament has to support its reconstruction, it is over 24,000 copies in all languages. And if you want to just talk about the Greek manuscripts that support the New Testament, it's over 5800 copies that support that. The next closest document of ancient history would be Homer's Iliad. And I think most of us are familiar with that. That has about 18 to 1900 Documents that support that. And we might ask, why are the documents so important? Well, the more documents you have as manuscripts, the more confidence scholars have to reconstruct the original text. They can compare them, they can analyze them, and make sure that what we're reading today is what the original author wrote way back when.
1: You know, this chart alone, I would believe, would be very. Uh, helpful for a person who's sitting on a college or university campus, and they're going into, a, a, you know, their English or history or whatever class it's going to be, where they want to cast doubt on the authenticity of Scripture, and just to point out the the number of manuscripts that have been found, it's rather amazing.
2: It is so amazing. In fact, if uh, the classics department in these universities that study ancient literature were to throw out the New Testament support, they would also have to throw out the new te- the support for their secular works by which they're giving people degrees on. So you stand, number one, as a believer in Christ, having the Bible, the New Testament, in your hand you are head and shoulders above the rest. And I doubt if these universities would discontinue their classics department. Right. Um, And uh, so they're going to have to give uh, credence, or at least tip their hat, to the Scriptures, because there's nothing that trumps it.
1: Part two of your book, and by the way, friends, we're talking with uh, Joseph Holden today, and uh, he is... Put together just an amazing book, The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible. Uh, Part two of your book is entitled The Books of the Bible. What's your approach with this section, a lengthy section of the book?
2: Well, we take all 66 books of the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, and we break them down into one or two page charts. And what we like to do is give you fast facts about that particular book, when it was written, uh, who was the author, who were the kings in power during that time, and then provide an outline and any significant features we'll pull out of the text and emphasize those in different informational sections upon the chart. So we're trying to give you the best of what that book has to offer, When it, the major, I should say the best of the major, it's all the best, but it's the major parts we bring out and mm-hmm. we highlight those so it's easily consumable and you get a good understanding of each book of the Bible. That's our big
1: goal. As a matter of fact, in the early pages of this section, you point to the four sections in the Old Testament, and also those of the New Testament, and tying all eight of these sections together, you have presented a key verse to help the reader understand, really, the, the, the context of the Scriptures. That verse is Genesis 3.15. What, what is the significance of that verse?
2: Oh, Genesis 3.15 is what scholars call the protovangelium. It's the first mention of the Gospel. That's what that word means. And that is the theme statement of the whole Bible. That is the title of the rest of the material that follows after Genesis 3, because it talks about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent, but that seed of the serpent will bite the heel of the seed of the woman, and the seed of the woman, as we know, is Christ, the Messiah. So God is using that first verse, Genesis 3.15, the Proto-Evangelium, is the first mention of the gospel, and the rest of the Bible shows you how that one verse is going to be fulfilled. And each book has its particular part in bringing that Genesis 3.15 to pass. And of course, it speaks of Jesus' final victory over the devil as he crushes him on the cross and during his second coming when he comes back to earth to set up his kingdom. What a beautiful story that is.
1: It really is, and that's woven all throughout the pages of scripture. Friends, you're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America, and uh, we're discussing a brand new book that has come out called The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible. It's one that gives a visual survey of every book of the Bible, helpful background charts and maps, and uh, it is something for uh, from the young to the aged to really benefit from this book. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we're going to uh, simply talk further about this book and some of the uh, panoramic views that come through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and uh, some of the books of the Bible. We'll comment on some of the information here as well, and uh, also share with you how you can obtain a copy at a steep discount right now from the vcy bookstores so stay tuned you're listening to crosstalk coming your way from the vcy american network
0: back to genesis with dr john morris scientist with the institute for creation research Dr. Morris, has evolutionary science been useful to the world?
2: Chris, you'd be surprised. Evolutionists say that evolution undergirds all of biology, and yet no truly helpful discovery has come from evolution. It is true that many evolutionists have made amazing discoveries, but these are based on scientific observation of the way things are. How they originated is a different question. It seems to me that if evolution were really a theory of everything, as they claim, then it ought to be obvious. They shouldn't have to rely on silly evolutionary stories to make us believe it. Face it, evolution is unbelievable because it's simply not true. Most people are not gullible enough to think that a frog changed into a prince. Creation is a much better answer, and we learn that when we go back to Genesis. Thanks, Dr. Morris. For more information, you can find us on the web
0: at www.icr.org.
1: we to Crosstalk on VCY America, and uh, we're discussing today the Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible. Friends, there really is an issue today, a problem that's going on in our society today on biblical illiteracy. Uh, we long to get into the, the Scriptures and read them. Matter of fact, uh, this year of 2023, our challenge from this network has been to read through the whole of Scripture this year using the one-year Bible. And there are many, many that are engaged in in doing that. And yet, with that also needs to come understanding of what it is that we're reading. And uh, this has been a a very helpful tool to come alongside and and to benefit the readers of scriptures, but also is a wonderful teaching tool uh, for parent to sit down with child, grandparent with grandchildren, and as well as for our own personal enrichment as well. Uh, I'd just like to make mention that the Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible that gives us visual survey of every book of the Bible with helpful background charts and maps uh, just will help you be better equipped to understand the significance of the Bible as a whole and each book of the Bible uh, uh, individually as well. It is a hardcover book. It's 11 by 8 Uh The regular price from the retailer came out at $26.99 plus tax and shipping. However, through this Saturday, March 4th, 2023, our VCY Bookstore is offering this book at 50% off. That's just $13.49 plus any applicable tax and or shipping. It's available right now at vcy.com, vcy.com, or by calling one 722 Four eight two nine. That's 4829 Their goal is to get this in as many hands as possible, and and to use it as a tool to increase the literacy of of scripture. And and uh, I know Joe, as if you have witnessed, and you look at the state of our nation, the state of the church today, just having a proper understanding of scripture, how it fits from beginning to end, is so critically important.
2: Oh, it so is so so. And, you know, when you read through the um, scriptures, you find that my people perish for a lack of knowledge. And we need to have that biblical knowledge so it gets into the head and it transforms down into the heart. So the character can be transformed. So very important because you can't really tell what a counterfeit looks like unless you're so familiar with the genuine And that's why we want to know our scriptures. We want to know it from Genesis to Revelation. So when something dark comes up or something heretical or off base or doesn't match the scriptures, our baloney meter kind of goes up and says, hey, that's a bunch of baloney. We can tell the difference between truth and error. That's why that's so important, biblical literacy.
1: There are many who will skip the Old Testament, just go to the New. But we're told in Romans that the things written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And I like what you have on pages 22 and 23 of your book. It's a panorama of the Old Testament. You actually have 26 different diagrams here that explain the whole of the Old Testament. So one who's perhaps stayed away from the Old Testament before, they could actually look at these two pages and gain insight as to how the whole Old Testament fits together
2: Absolutely, and that's so crucial because you can't recognize the Messiah in the New Testament if you know what kind, if you don't know what kind of Messiah is coming that was prophesied in Mm -hmm. the Old. So it's very important. We start on these two pages, gives you a whole panoramic look from the beginning of creation in Genesis 1-1, and it takes you through the end of the minor prophets and the prophecies of the Messiah that will come in the New Testament in the four Gospels. It's broken down in easy one-sentence sound bites along with a graphic for each major section of the Old Testament and what it talks about. It is so very important that we learn the old because we won't know what we're looking for in the new unless we do.
1: As you went through the Bible, uh, how did you decide what to illustrate from the various books?
2: Well, you go through and you look at the key components. You want to take the statements that are significant, Everything is significant, but some things are more right to the point. And so each book we went through, we wanted to get the major theme, and we wanted to get the major subject matter and the major players in each of it, and bring that forward on the pages of this infographic book. And we believe if people have the main things, not necessarily the minor things, but the main things of each book, Mm -hmm. then they will have a good grasp of what those books are talking about, thus increasing biblical literacy.
1: And again, the Old Testament, preparing us for the coming of Messiah. For Genesis, you you focus on the days of creation. You also focus on Noah's Ark, Exodus. I see that not only do you have key moments from the life of Moses, but a a listing of the ten plagues, and then Leviticus. This is a book that many just want to pass over, but uh, coming out of this book of their seven Feasts of Israel, you see great significance behind those, don't you?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, Remember, these feasts were given while they were wandering in the wilderness. And in Exodus chapter 19, there was a covenant made between Moses and Israel. He gave the covenant between God and Israel. Moses was the mediator of that covenant. And ultimately, these feasts picture the Lord Jesus Christ in one way or another. Uh, For example, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It speaks to us about the sinlessness of Christ. And he said, I am the bread of life in the Gospel of John. And we know that through Jewish uh, ceremonial tradition, going through these feasts and so forth, these are all types, symbols, shadows of what was to come and to be fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ when he came to take our sins upon his shoulder and die upon the cross and then raise again three days later. So these are our feasts that instruct us in so many ways about how God dealt with his people of the Old Testament, how he covered their sin for temporarily for a short time until Jesus, the person who could come and fully remove those sins when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. So that's why we really highlight those feasts. It's an important aspect of what the Messiah will be like when he comes.
1: Indeed. Uh, there are times in which we have a hard time remembering the judges. Uh, we may know the first couple or so forth, who they were, where they came from. And when it comes to the kings, we can name Saul, David, and Solomon, but we get lost after that. But you have some helpful tools here, don't you, to help the reader?
2: Yes, absolutely. We have a uh, king's lists that take when the kingdom was divided after Solomon's death, Rehoboam was the king of the southern kingdom of Judah and Benjamin, and then the northern kingdom, you had King Jeroboam, who took the ten tribes up north, and unfortunately, that you know brings to us a uh, kind of a confusing conundrum when we have two kings' lines going from the northern kings of Israel and then the southern kings of Judah. And we, what we do is highlight each one of those kings, and it's very important we do so, because, you know, it was Jesus that came from the tribe of Judah, and the tribe of Judah was what God established from which all the kings of Judah would come through. And during the split, unfortunately, they deviated from that Davidic dynasty, the huh. Davidic descendancy that would eventually lead to Christ. And Joseph, in fact, Joseph plays a very big part in that because he is a descendant from the kingly line of Solomon. But unfortunately, because of the curse of Jeconiah, nobody after Jeconiah could sit on the throne. So what Joseph did was provide Jesus the legal right to the throne, whereas Mary, through his, her lineage, back through Nathan, who was also a son of David, provides the blood for Jesus of David to sit on the throne. So the kingly lines are very important. It traces descendancy, and it shows that Jesus is fully qualified to sit on the throne of David because of his blood and because of his legal right provided by his father.
1: Yeah, and that's very interesting, and, and I'm just jumping ahead for a moment to the New Testament. I mean, in, in, on your Matthew page, you've got the ancestry of Jesus through Joseph, and in Luke, the ancestry of Jesus through Mary. It's really remarkable to see that, that, that lineup of, of characters that, that brought about the, the one uh, whom, whom uh, we worship today.
2: Yes, absolutely. And as you know, God doesn't waste any sentences, does he? No. He gives us both lines, one through Luke and one through Matthew, because Mary provides the blood of David that Jesus needed through the prophecies that he would be the one qualified to sit on the throne. But Joseph, as his legal father, his adoptive father, provides the legal right for Jesus to sit on the throne. And what an amazing thing that Matthew and Luke has done. They didn't leave one thing out and uh, they informed us quite a bit about his lineage.
1: Again, friends, this is put in an infographic form to make it easy to grasp easy to understand, and to see how it all uh, pieces together. Uh, just before leaving the Old Testament, though, I do want to point out, uh, you've got uh, charts there and, and graphics pertaining to a number of prophets. Uh, when we get to the minor prophets, many call those the, the white pages of the Bible because we often skip those uh, the, the minor prophets. But tell us what you've done to help us grasp hold of uh, the, the major prophets, minor prophets in Scripture.
2: Well, what we did was the Bible uh, collects the major prophets, you know, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, even the book of Lamentations. And then we have a second group of prophets called the Minor Prophets, and there are 12 Minor Prophets, and they call them minor not because their message is insignificant, but because... Their books are shorter than the major prophets. Isaiah is a long book, 66 chapters, but Obadiah is just one chapter. Joel is just three chapters. And so we divide them up into two, just like the Bible has them in the scriptures, and we highlight each one of these minor prophets by name, the king who was reigning at the time, their date, the outlines of their book, how do they point to Christ, Mm. and their key verses, which are very important. Uh, to have, And each one of these minor prophets prophesied uh, something very unique about Jesus and something unique about the end times and also something unique about the future even in their day. So in other words, they were looking forward to something occurring in a very near future and in a distant future in the last days that we live today when the book of Revelation starts to come alive and then we begin the day of the Lord. So what a beautiful thing that is that the Lord sent us these minor prophets with His message of redemption, of coming back to Jesus, Hmm. but also gave us a warning about what was going to happen in the future. So what we do is try to simply lay these out all very clear on just a couple pages and you can just take the fast facts with you and keep those while you're reading your Bible.
1: Indeed. Uh, You'll find out about the prophet's ministry, who was the recipient, what was their message, what was their purpose, an outline for each book, a uh, Christological theme along with the key verse, and uh, very helpful in that regard. Uh, One more comment here before the New Testament, and you have a couple of pages devoted to the intertestamental silent years. What can you tell us about this time?
2: Well, the intertestinal silent years picked up after the book of Malachi, about 400 B.C., and it really ended at the time that Christ came to do his ministry. So there was about 400 years of a time where there was no prophet to speak to Israel or the world. But a lot happened during that time of those silent years. And they call it silent because not only did the prophet not show up to speak on behalf of God like they did in the Old Testament, but it's it's not silent with God's working in the world. In other words, he brought empires to rise, such as Greece and Rome, and during those time frames they had different rulers that popped up, and it was all in preparation for the Messiah to come in the first century AD. They built roads during this time. Rome had basically conquered the world the mediterranean world at this time um there was an instituted uh, language of greek uh that came and everybody spoke their native tongue and then they spoke the universal language which was greek and if people come into that time frame it's a perfect time to not run from persecution but to sit and contemplate the lord jesus christ who was about to come on the scene everything was prepared I've uh, prepared for Him. In the fullness of time, God sent
1: forth His Son. Amen. And friends, we're going to take a quick break. We'll f- learn more about that unfolding of the coming of the Messiah. We'll be back in a minute here on Crosstalk.
0: VCY America is making available Ray Comfort's DVD that is causing evolutionists and atheists around the world to become unglued. Evolution versus God is a fast-moving 35-minute DVD in which Ray Comfort confronts evolutionists with a series of questions that leave them stumped and speechless about a belief system that lacks credible answers to the origins of the earth and mankind. You can obtain one DVD of Evolution versus God for a donation of $5, five copies for a donation of $18, or ten copies for a donation of $25 by calling 1-800-729-9829. Evolution versus God is shaking the foundation of evolutionary faith. That's one copy for a donation of $5, five copies for a donation of $18, or ten copies for a donation of $25. Simply call VCY America at 1-800-729-9829 or on the web at vcyamerica.org.
1: joined Cross Talk on the VCY American Network and with us today Dr. Joe Holden who has put together the Infographic: The ultimate infographic guide to the Bible, and uh, really making an easy-to-understand graphs and charts, timelines, uh, uh, pictures, and uh, just helping to understand the the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament, how it paves the way for the New. Uh, certainly, Genesis three fifteen being that central key verse uh, to understand uh, the uh, plan of salvation that God has uh, for this uh, this world, and uh, we've worked our way through. Uh, The Old Testament and briefly through that intertestament time as well, we're going to look a little bit at the New Testament. We'll also provide you some time to ask your questions on the program today. But I do want to remind you, uh, friends, that uh, our bookstore really wants to get this into your hand. And it's really about ministering to you. And so they work out an arrangement with the publisher that allows them to get this book into your hand at half off the regular price. But that does end this coming Saturday, March the 4th, 2023. Uh, this is a, a book that a child will benefit from as well as a senior citizen. I mean, it is it is really put down on a level that it makes it uh, fun to go through, but uh, captivating through the charts and graphs and, and understanding uh, how Scripture all fits together and getting the major themes of the Bible. And uh, just a reminder, it's a hardcover, 11.5 by 8.5 book, normally twenty six ninety nine, but through Saturday, the bookstore is offering it. VCY bookstore, $13.49, plus any applicable tax or shipping. You can go to vcy.com, vcy.com, or 1-888-722-4829, and Joe, at that price, I think people might be able to get several copies of it.
2: Oh, that's for sure. I don't know of any better price than VCY. I, I mean, that's the place to get it. It's mm-hmm. uh, half price, 50% off, and I've seen nothing that cheap.
1: So, friends, uh, check it out, vcy.com, or you can call the number if it's busy. Just call back a few minutes later, One triple eight seven two two four eight two nine. They are open until 6 p.m. Central Time this evening. Uh, Joey, you've got a timeline of Jesus' final hours, but what a remarkable comparison you have on how the crucifixion fulfills the Passover. It's on page 83.
2: Oh, yeah. This is very important because, you know, as you know, the the priests during that time, the Levitical system, they were sacrificing on the very day that Christ died. And the Passover, as a feast, was always picturing their exodus from Egypt. They put the blood on the doorpost and the lentils, and the angel of death passed over them, thus sparing the Jewish people there. They went on their wandering, came into the land, and they continued to celebrate the Passover. But it's ironic that right on the day of Passover, on the year that Christ died, Christ was dying about the same time that the final Passover lamb was being sacrificed that afternoon. Mark says that Jesus hung on the cross from about 9 in the morning to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And at about that time, around 3 p.m., that was about the time when they sacrificed their, their offering to the Lord for the Passover. And it was a wonderful fulfillment of what they had been practicing in the Passover feast... All these centuries, all the way through, came to a fulfillment and a culmination on the day that Christ gave his life for our sins on the cross. Just an amazing, amazing story.
1: Indeed, it is. And uh, so you'll see, friends, how the crucifixion fulfills the Passover. There's also a timeline of Jesus' final hours on, on uh, earth as well before his, his death. Uh, burial and uh, resurrection, the glorious resurrection. Uh, we're going to jump along to uh, the, the pages you have on Romans, pages 86 and 87. Uh, you bring bring out some very fascinating information in these two pages.
2: Yes, Romans, as you know, is a key doctrinal book. It has heavy theology in there, and it talks a lot about Christ, our redemption, our sanctification, the future for Israel, God, man, and government in, Revela- or in Romans chapter 13. Uh, it compares Adam to Jesus. It answers the question about salvation. Who gives the salvation, of course, is Jesus. Why? Because we were sinners trapped. He bought us out of the slave market. How does he do it? He shows his love, and he died for us on that cross, Romans 5.8 tells us. Romans 10.13 says the solution is everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. And what a blessing that is. It's called the Romans Road, and then we highlight some of the Greek words in a very simple way for everybody to understand that great word, redemption. Redemption. What does that word mean? It's all highlighted. You've been bought out of the slave market. That's what that means.
1: Folks, it's wonderful. And again, that biblical truth is emphasized in this book. Um, you've got Paul's missionary journeys laid out in Acts, the, the gifts to the church in 1 Corinthians compared to other books, the, the Hall of Faith in Hebrews, uh, the requirements for pastors and deacons from the epistles. You emphasize Jude's emphasis on contending for the faith, and there's so much we could unpack from every one of these. But I'd like to move on to part three of your book, which is entitled Bible History, the Messiah and the Future. Tell us about that section, if you would.
2: Well, this is an important section that tells us about archaeology and how it confirms the scriptures. Mm -hmm. There are some 100 people mentioned in scriptures that the archaeologists have either uncovered inscriptions or artifacts or stones with their names on it. Um, One such instance was Pontius Pilate. Uh, Some time ago in the 1960s, Antonio Frova, an Italian archaeologist, was digging up in Caesarea and found a stone with Pontius Pilate's name on it. His job title is the Prefect of Judea under the reign of Tiberius Caesar. That's exactly what the Bible tells us. But it doesn't stop there. It goes on and on about multiple people, places, events. And this tells us so importantly, that the Bible is rooted in history. It's not just theoretical. It's not philosophical, per se. It's rooted in real life, real geography, real history, and real people. And that's what makes this wonderful message of salvation great. It's rooted to time and space. It's something we can relate to, and it's something we can trust because we can check out the facts that surround the gospel message. And if those check out to be true then we can give the benefit of the doubt to the gospel message, which is true.
1: It's amazing, friends, to know the things that have been uncovered from the earth have uh, confirmed uh, the scriptures that we've held in our hands for so long. Uh, You also have a chronology on the life of Jesus, uh, uh, on the miracles he did, including where the miracle was performed, messianic prophecies of Christ first coming, and how they were fulfilled. And what a blessed promise to us that just as those were fulfilled, that gives us confidence for his return as well, does it not?
2: Absolute. That should boost the confidence of every believer, knowing that Christ is going to be faithful to his word. In fact, in the Psalms it says, God holds his word above his very name. And name refers to nature. Because what do we look at when we try to discern or discover one's nature or character? We look at their word. We look how they talk. We see if they fulfill their promises. We see what comes out of their mouth. We hear the words that they speak. And certainly when we read the scriptures, it tells us a lot about God's nature and that he fulfills his promises. He said he'd come in the beginning. He came. He said he'll come a second time at the end of days. He will come again. And I look so forward to that great triumph when we come back with Him,
1: Amen. the saints, with the Lord in the clouds. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, we let's open our phone lines here today. If you have some questions, I've got some more I'll be asking, but but if you have a question you'd like to ask of our guest today, our number to crosstalk, 800-733-9829. We're talking about the ultimate infographic guide to the Bible, 800-733-9829. A tremendous tool to help us understand understand that scriptures book by book, how it all fits together as well. Matter of fact, Joe, the last three pages of your book are what we know about hell, how to avoid hell, and what we know about heaven. This is like the conclusion to the whole matter. So from your heart, what is the importance of this section? The importance of this
2: section is to know that life does not stop at physical death, that we remain conscious forever we are fully aware after we die in this physical body, and we go to two, one of two places, either to heaven, eternal bliss with God, or to hell, that's eternal separation from God. And as you know, that God will honor your decision about wanting to be with Him and love Him and relate Him. If you choose in this life to be with Him and love Him and relate with Him, you are on your way to heaven. It's called being saved because you've trusted in Jesus Christ. It's the full payment for your sins. He's your Lord and Savior. But then hell, on the other hand, God honors the decisions of those who say, I don't want to be with you. I want to be separated from you. I don't like what you stand for. And he has provided a place for those people, too. He will not violate their will, nor will there be any shotgun weddings in heaven or forced marriages to God from anyone. So God gives us that eternity of what we choose, either to accept him or to reject them. And there's two distinct
1: places for those individuals. There are distinct places, but dear friend, keep, keep in your mind, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And that, again, takes us back to the theme, Joe, of this whole book, Salvation Redemption, that's available through Jesus Christ.
2: That's right. It's the gospel through and through. Right. And if you want to boil down the whole book, it's to help people understand the gospel message the words that can save, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that if we were simply to receive Christ by faith and for your own volition and appropriate him as your Savior, he will save you. We don't pay for it, we don't work for it, we simply believe him at his word. And he says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord mm. shall be saved. Amen. And you can take them to the bank on those words. Amen.
1: Let's begin with Gary calling from Wisconsin. Hi, Gary, you're on the air.
2: Oh, thank you for taking my call.
0: I got a question. The Lord's Prayer where it says, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as in heaven. Is that for the individual during this period, or is that for the world in the millennium?
2: Oh, that's that's a great question, Gary. You know, when it says that, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that is not only for this this period, but for the next period as well, both. So it's not either or, it can be both now and for eternity during the millennial 1,000-year reign of Christ, because we always should be praying for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not just for the end times, but it's even now for the believer to pray that prayer, and to seek God's will in everything we do and say.
1: All right, thank you. Thank you, Gary. You're welcome. Julie is calling from Pensacola, Florida. Julie, you're on the air.
2: Uh, yes, um, thank you for taking the call. I had, when I first got saved, I had read a Bible where they had several different different books in the Bible. Like I remember one, one book was named Susanna, maybe, or I think it was a Catholic Bible. Can you maybe explain that, why it's... There is a different Bible.
1: Are you referring oh, like sure. to, to the Apocrypha? Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe yes. yeah, I don't. That's... I'm not sure. Great. I've been saved for like twenty plus years, but it's been yeah. a while, and I, you know, life got busy. I forgot about it. But every once in a while, I do think of that and wondered why it was included in some Bibles but not in others.
1: Thank you, Joel.
2: That's a great. That's a great question. You know, back in Jesus' day, his Bible was called the Septuagint. It was the Greek translations of the Hebrew Scriptures. And in that Bible, they had an appendix with a bunch of apocryphal books as a part of that Bible. But those apocryphal books, those extra books as you call them, they were never quoted as Scripture. They were never considered the Word of God. But they were part of the history of the Jewish nation about how they took back you know, the temple from Antiochus Epiphanes, the Maccabean Revolt, and so forth. And there are certain errors in those books. But when we come back on the other side, maybe we can finish this.
1: Great. Thank you. We'll take a quick break here. And uh, thank you, Julie, for the call. He'll finish that response after the break. This is Crosstalk coming your way from VCY America as we're talking today about the ultimate infographic guide to the bible a very fascinating book it's a wonderful tool to help you understand the whole of scripture back in a moment
3: for the worldview report i'm brandon house the bible is an amazing document we can trust it we have a sure word of prophecy the bible says that babylon 58 miles south of baghdad will become a major center for commerce for the world's merchants But it will also be the center of world government, a Eurocentric world government. Well, not much has been going on in Babylon for some time now. But did you know there has now been a $2.6 billion contract with South Korea's Daewoo Engineering and Construction to build what is described as the Grand Fall Port. And you know what? It will be completed and in operation in 2024 and fully completed by 2025. Guess what it will do? shave off 25 days of shipping oil and goods through the Suez Canal to Europe. This, my friends, many are saying, will make Babylon the center of commercial commerce big time for the world. The Bible's coming true.
1: You're listening to Crosstalk on VCY America and with us today is Joe Holden, who is the well, the author of here of The Ultimate Infographic Guide to the Bible, and he who has uh, teamed up with a wonderful illustrator uh, has uh, put together this book that's being offered right now through this Saturday at half off the regular price, just $13.49 plus any applicable tax or shipping. It's available right now at vcy.com. But that's only through this Saturday, or by calling one triple eight seven two two. Four eight two nine one triple eight seven two two four eight two nine, and our call-in number to cross talk today eight hundred seven three three nine eight two nine. So, Joe, just before that break, Julie from Pensacola called and had some questions there pertaining to those extra books in, in the apocrypha and so forth. And you were just in the midst of explaining about those, so we'll have you pick up where you left off.
2: Okay, great. Thanks, Jim. And what I was saying was that Jesus' Bible, the Septuagint in his time, had these extra books called the Apocrypha as a part of his Bible, though they never were received as the Scriptures. They were never quoted as the Word of God, but they meant a lot to the Jewish nation because it meant a lot because of the part of their history that was involved in those books. But in in the New Testament, you find that they. Are No more Apocrypha here, but that the Catholic Church has actually adopted them as what they call the deuterocanonical scriptures. That means the secondary text or the secondary canon of scripture, if you will. They took 11 of those 14 books and included it into their Catholic Bibles. So that's probably what you're seeing in that regard. But it was never quoted as Scripture, nor was it
1: considered Scripture by Jesus. And really, that harkens back to your comments earlier about the canon. You've got a a chart and information pertaining to that in in this book as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. And if you refer back to the canon chart, if you pick up one of these books, it'll give you the whole layout of the process it went through for canonization. We know that the people of God accepted the books of the Bible immediately after, after they were written. And the canonization process that took about 300 years was simply for ecumenical acceptance. It was for administrative acceptance. It was for confirmation of what they already knew to be the Word of God. It wasn't a this book's in, that book's out. And a lot of people have a uh, misconception of that, Jim, on that. But the charts that we have in the book will clearly outline the differences in the process
1: it went through. Let's go to Armour, South Dakota. We have Ronald calling. Hi, Ronald. You're on the air.
2: Hi. I, Julie, Your answers for Julie answered
0: my questions about the Apocrypha. Okay. I really appreciate your ministry and your guests today. Thank
1: you. Great. Thank you for the call. And uh, Jay in Reno, Nevada, you're on the air.
2: Hi, sir. Um, too, just too, um quick. Um, when Jesus was on the cross and he was trying to lift him, uh, himself up, you know, his heels were digging into the wood, and I and always interpreted that as uh, the serpent bruising his heel. And the other comment is um, when Jesus was saying, "Eli, Eli," I mean, he actually says "Eli" twice, and, and and I I didn't get which gospel. It's either one or one or more. Why have you forsaken me? I always thought maybe. Uh,
1: Jesus was talking to the Father and the Holy Spirit, because Eli is dual, too. El was singular, and Elohim is plural, three or more. So just a couple comments there. Okay, but, uh, your thoughts on what Jay just said there, Joe?
2: Yeah, that's that's very important. Uh, bruising the heel was part of the Genesis 3.15 Proto-Evangelium, and that simply means that there will not be a mortal wound inflicted upon Jesus. Uh, That means that he will rise victoriously the third day and ultimately be victorious over the Satan. But Satan will have a bruised head. That means a mortal death wound. So in terms of lifting up on the cross, I don't think it means so much that, but it means more that Jesus would not be down and out. He would not be defeated by this infliction of a bite on his heel, but the devil would because it's against his head, a mortal death wound. And then Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani in the Gospels is is very powerful. Jesus refers back to his Aramaic tongue in a time of suffering, just like most likely we would all do for more comfort. But yes, he's crying out to God, and we can see back in the Psalms that that's where that quote comes from. And we know that God never really did forsake him, and that if you read through the Psalm that he has not turned his face away from him that he was actually there but so why does he say this well it's because he felt forsaken just like you and i feel forsaken once in a while we say god where are you where are you, aren't, why aren't you working in my life but actually he's right there the whole time and he's working so jesus was a man and he felt forsaken while he was on the cross and he cried out such but the text from where it comes from in psalms in the details that he wasn't actually forsaken by the
1: Lord. He was there the whole time. Indeed, and uh, certainly he bore our sin, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, boy, what a tremendous gift this was, dying for our sin on the, the cross. And friends, we say burdens are lifted at Calvary. It's uh, certainly that uh, guilt of sin uh, that uh, Jesus cried out those words, it is finished. Finish that redemptive work that God called him to do. Uh, Joe, uh, this book, is it's powerful, and um, let me just, let's see, we're going to squeeze one last call in very quickly. Ellie in Wisconsin, you're on the air.
2: Hi, I would like to clarify a little more on Eli, Eli. Right. The back tonight.
1: Okay, tell you what, uh, because we're down to 60 seconds, we don't have time for a comment on that, plus our response from our guests. So I apologize. I, I think our guests, you know, commented more fully on that. But So forgive me for having to interrupt that, the, the call here at this point. Uh, Joe, what is your hope that this book is going to accomplish?
2: biblical literacy. We want people to grow in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of the scriptures because we know that God transforms people through the scriptures, their thinking, their heart. John 17:17 17, 17 says, "Thy word is truth; sanctify them by your truth." Thy word is truth, and that sanctification happens because the word is flowing through. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God," Paul said in Romans. And that's so and so important. And this book hopefully leads the believer into more Bible reading and mm-hmm. literacy.
1: Can this book be used evangelistically?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, that is the whole purpose of, of the book being written, not only for literacy, but to get the Gospel out in a clear, concise way that people wouldn't sit down for an hour and, and maybe read the Gospel of John, but they might take a look at one chart There's a bunch of soundbite statements on it
1: that will make sense to them. And, friends, just a reminder, through this Saturday, March 4th, 2023, it's available at 50% off at the VCY Bookstore and Outreach Center uh, by calling uh, 1-888-722-4829 or at vcy.com. Joe, thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you for having me,
2: Jim. God bless you.
1: You've been listening to Crosstalk via satellite and the Internet
0: from VCY America.